Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Chitheads. My special guest today is Matthew Remsky. Matthew Remsky has been practicing meditation since 1996 and asana since 2000. He's taught yoga, yoga philosophy, and Ayurveda in Toronto and beyond since 2005. He maintains an active Ayurveda consultation practice from his home, which he shares with his partner Alex and their son Jacob. He's authored several books on yoga and related subjects and is working towards completing What Are We Actually Doing in Asana, an examination of pain, injury, and healing in modern yoga, which we're also going to talk a little bit about today. His blog, his very popular blog, hosts an average of 20,000 readers per month, and you can find that uh, blog at matthewremsky.com slash WordPress. Is that correct, Matthew? Yeah, that, that should be it. I think .com would, would get people would there get anyway. People there. Yeah. Okay, great. So hello, how are you? Good, thanks, Jacob. Good. Thanks, thanks, thanks for taking the time today. Yes, it's um, and I just want to be upfront with our listeners that this is actually the third time we're yeah. attempting this interview, which has never happened before. But um, um, I'm looking forward to the third time. The first time we we sort of decided that we wanted to tackle some of the, our sensitive topics um, again, and then the second time I was in rare form. So I will talk a little bit of that in a bit, and, and sort of I, I do want to go to sort of sort of get into the to the sensitive details or kind of the vulnerable details, I guess, about why I felt so defensive in that particular interview. Um, but I want to wait for that juicy stuff for a little bit. But sure. first, I would love to um, to talk, to just ha- open the floor for you to talk a little bit about your story. You know, you I think you you inhabit a very interesting position in in and a very important position, I think, in the in the in the yoga scene in that you know, you have a critical voice, but you're also very learned um, and sensitive to a lot of the, the 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 issues that have been happening around trauma, sensitivity. And and so I would love to just kind of hear um, a little bit about your story and what led you to the practice of yoga and what has kind of informed your uh, very unique perspective, I would say, on, on the practices of yoga. All right. Well, to... to it's hard to a little bit hard to start at the beginning beginning but if i were to choose a moment that really uh, brings a number of things into focus uh, with my present you know interests and research i'd have to say that um in in 2007 uh, i'd been practicing asana for about seven years and i was in a weekend immersion with a very famous uh, teacher um, who is internationally renowned, loved by many. He's kind of a senior figure in in, uh, a number of different asana worlds. And... um, I, I take I, it. I take it from your ambiguity that you don't feel like sharing that. Yeah, I'll 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 name names in the actual book and and the okay. and the um, uh, and and what's what's cool is that this 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 particular person um, is has uh, um, agreed to be interviewed about it, and uh, so that's coming up in November, and and I'm I'm really looking forward to seeing seeing what he has to say about the about what I'm going to describe. But, um, you know, and what I'm going to describe isn't that extraordinary. It's, it's, it's happens thousands upon thousands of times, but it, it jostled me into a series of connections that I think have been unconsciously, um, driving me for a long time now. Uh, I, it was at the end of the weekend, um, you know, I enjoyed the, you know, precise detailed work that we were doing. I, I felt that I had learned a lot, although, you know, as it was in the the Iyengar mode, there was also something of of kind of like an instructional overwhelm that I think is part of the point. You're you're mm. you, you're 
cognitive self gets battered uh, in a way so that so that somehow uh, some kind of instinct takes over uh, some new muscle awakens inside and I, I I enjoyed that process for for a while it's not really what I do anymore when I when I do physical practice but um, we got to the end of the weekend um, I'm I'm pretty sure that I was exhausted and worn out and I was in Parivrita Trikonasana and you know following all the instructions and and you know looking at the clock kind of and and uh, and and he and he quietly um, approached from behind I mean so quiet that I that I didn't that I didn't hear him um, put uh, one foot on my to, on my on my back foot to stabilize it um, somehow anchored me with his own pelvis um, uh, and then wrenched my spine deeply into the twist like impossibly deep into the twist and, and I felt what felt like every single vertebrae in my spine cracked just like a kind of like a um, I don't know velcro ripping or something like that and and uh, and what was amazing was that um, I was, it was, yes, it was painful, but it was also elating. And, uh, and, and this surge of complex sensations really flowed out of that moment. Like he, he let me, let me go. I crumpled to the floor. He walked away. He went off onto the next person. And you crumpled uh, to the floor. Yeah, yeah. Oh wow. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I mean, if if you're if you're, you know, in in that posture and, and yeah. twisted much much farther than you've been, uh, you know, accustomed to, and and you're doing that through the support of right of someone else, yeah, of the person who's adjusted you. There's, you know, you're not gonna you're not gonna suddenly find a new source of balance. So right, right. So, so I didn't, and 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 he and he walked on, and this was just kind of par for the course. And I yeah. think one of the weird things about about this style of teaching is that it t it has taken about thirty years for um, you know people like me and other people my age to figure out that actually this was happening all the time to everybody because the thing that happens. The thing that happens after an encounter like that is that you internalize, you kind of try to regather yourself, you create a, a, a bubble of, of recovery uh, for about 10 minutes. You don't, you don't realize that he's probably adjusted three more people like that at the same time until you start talking to them 10 years later. <laughs> and, and then you say, oh, okay, well, you know, did that happen to you as well? So anyway, the, 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 the connections that, that, that emerged happened slowly but, but very powerfully. Um, and they came out of the bodily sensations of it. And, and um, the bodily sensations were, um, yes, pain, but also, but also elation. I mean, as we go into stress positions, there's, you know, explosions of opiate release and, and endorphins and all kinds of, uh, you know, adrenalizing functions that allow you to survive whatever it is you're, you're, you're experiencing. And, you, of course, your body doesn't know how deeply it's injured yet, and so it doesn't know how much it has to protect you. Um, and I got the adjustment on one side and not the other side, so I kind of walked around for the next week or so like I had one, like I was a car with, with you know, my two left tires flat or something, you know, like, you know, sort of listing to one side because, because I was, I don't know, mildly scoliotic from the adjustment. It was oh, so 
powerful. It was so powerful. Um, but but the other thing was that that I was flooded with warmth. Mm-hmm. I was flooded with with um, a kind of uh, appreciation as well that it wasn't worse. Mm-hmm. I was flooded with a kind of um, a sense of of uh, I don't know even even this this weird kind of gratitude that I've been given the attention. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, and but at the same time, uh, the 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 my back pain, which then developed into about a year's worth of trouble, uh, oh, wow. gradually gradually uh, you know amplified. Mm-hmm. And uh, and here's the thing: the, the 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 real shock came when I remembered that the the only thing that really reminded me of that, like it wasn't, it wasn't an unfamiliar sensation. Mm-hmm. Uh, the only thing that reminded me of, of the, uh, of this, of this, or the, or the thing that this reminded me of rather is, is, uh, my experience in, uh, a Catholic boys school in Toronto called, uh, St. Michael's choir school that I went to from third grade to 12th grade. Mm-hmm. Um, where even though corporal punishment was outlawed in the city of Toronto in 1971, this this particular school just really, you know, like the rest of the Catholic Church, felt itself to be above civil law and, and didn't really pay any attention to that. And so, corporal punishment from for me for the from the age of about seven through to sixteen was uh, a, a normal everyday common experience either within my own body or watching it happen to other people other boys and um and the same the same mechanisms apply uh that you you don't know that it's coming that it's just accepted there's no sense of of consent or or you know anything like that there's no there's no the, 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 the educational principle is in loco parentis, right? The old, you know, Latin idea, Latinate and then, and then, you know, Renaissance idea that the, 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 the schooling environment is taking the place of the parent and the parent owns the body of the child. Therefore, the school owns the body of the child. That's like basically what, what was the rule in this particular classroom. Um, and, and I remembered the same complex of sensations uh, in school that uh, I would be flooded with warmth. I would be uh, elated that it was over. I would be proud that I'd survived it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would it would it could become a point of of, of boasting or one-upmanship amongst, amongst the other boys that oh I got something worse than you but I'm still laughing or or and then the other thing the other thing that is involved with it is um is that it's is that there, there's an eroticism mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. there's there's an intimacy that breaks a particular kind of bodily taboo mm-hmm. uh Certainly in the Catholic school environment, less so in the yoga environment, but the same principle applies where the the kind of full-on bodily contact signifies a kind of non-cognitive attention that we just don't really have in our repressed lives. And because it's brief, it's forceful, um, it is it can be painful. 
but there's also some edge of I don't know. Uh, it's 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 cutting through a kind of physical repression. Uh, it's laying some kind of intimate violence bare, uh, and for that reason, there's there's something there's something darkly uh, sexual or sexualizable about it. And I think that's that's why you know corporal punishment is, is its own like porn category uh, in, in, um, uh, in, in that form of culture. I think it plays into, you know, we, we see it as a trope in BDSM and, and all, kinds of, all kinds of other places. And, and, so, and so putting these two things together, which took a while because, you know, this is a deep bodily memory from childhood of, of, of you know, non-consensual uh, discipline slash abuse. Putting these two things together made me wonder, uh, okay, well, is there a historical or a social connection as well? Um, is there a way in which uh, the, the, you know, the central pedagogical norms of modern postural yoga, you know, actually carry some of the same principles of institutionalized schooling, you know, throughout the the certainly the European and 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 then and then colonial era era India uh, that we've come to reject, or most people have come to reject. Does it still exist in these places? Um, and I think you know one of the one of the deepest historical revelations that, that I've come to over researching the Wawadia project is that, yeah, absolutely. Um, the, these, the, the pedagogy of modern postural yoga comes out of a corporal punishment environment. And um, to, to ignore that or to not really get clear on that in contemporary discussions of consent, uh, power dynamics, um, you know, who teachers are, what they're, what they're responsible for, um, uh, what what what, uh, what historical burdens they carry, what their own traumas might be, to not get clear on that means that you know the discussion of consent and trauma sensitivity in modern yoga really is open to attacks uh, the the attacks of political correctness or you know this stuff is all coming out of universities or you know it's it's trendy or something like that uh, and. I would say it's 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 not trendy. It's just a fact that uh, we are coming out of uh, decades and decades and decades of educational norms um, where power hierarchies allow certain attitudes towards student bodies to be normalized. Um, so so. Uh, that's not how I began in yoga, though. You know, question was, you know, how did you get started? If that's if that's where I started, I, I, I certainly wouldn't have stayed for sure. Um, although, although, although there's something very stimulating about about encountering um, a a a similar circumstance to childhood, and I think we have to remember that as well. That 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 um, you know, the yoga space is a very intimate space. Um, it is a um, often it's a space of heavy transference and countertransference. It's a, it's been broadcast globally through through these family lineages that people idolize. Uh, it is a family invoking 
you know, the, 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 some people won't like me saying this, but it's a Freud heavy space. Yeah. <clears throat> no, I was actually, I just wanted to actually bring that up because, you know, as you're, as you're discussing, you know, the kind of formative historical sociological ways that we are, you know, embedded in, in, in certain matrices of power, I, I, I felt very much like it was, you were approaching a kind of psychoanalytic reading of, of yoga, which I think is, is very, is is very interesting and and de definitely very helpful and and so I'm wondering a little bit if you think that the resist but it's problematic it's also very problematic. oh yeah certainly yeah. and and I guess you know do you think that one of the resistances to um, engaging in this kind of investigation is the same kind of resistance that would lead someone to you know not approach psychotherapeutic measures, but rather seek for something like a pill or a quick fix prescription. And the quick fix prescription in this, in this instance would be kind of the mystique around, or the, you know, the mysteriousness that can kind of shroud um, Indian culture or yogic culture in a way that, um, that resists investigation or, or. Yeah, I think um, so. I think, I think Orientalism, Romanticism, these, these are, these are very powerful bromides. Mm -hmm. And, and I think we, we, you know, the, the, the recent history of, of modern yoga is littered with examples of, you know, folks who, uh, choose to adopt new identities rather than, rather than really address the ones they have. Yeah. And, and so, yeah, I, I I think I think that that uh, the, the the quick fixery of of devotionalism of of othering and self othering for sure um, it allows people to avoid the fact that well they might actually be in this yoga class because it has some significant resonances with you know interrelational power dynamics that they experienced very early on. Yeah. It, it might become a way of, of spiritualizing or, or um, neutralizing uh, certain, certain relational dynamics that, that they, they weren't able to get over. And, and this, is where, this is where, you know, when I talk to somebody like Victor Van Kooten about his experience with Mr. Iyengar, um, and he says to me in, in an interview, I'm, he's you know, he's sitting in, in, in Lesbos, Greece, and we're doing it by Skype. He says, I said, you know, he's describing, you know, Iyengar's persistent physical abuse of, of him. Uh, and I said, I said, well, you know, was there any point at which his abuse, uh, his, his physical battery became intolerable to you? Like what, what, you know, why, how, how did you find yourself able to stay? And he said, Oh, it was never intolerable to me, you know, because I was used to my father beating me. And, but at least with Mr. Angar, I felt like I was getting something. I was, I was being loved in a way. Mm. Um, and you know, it's like, well, uh, um, if, how long does it take us to get there? That's, that's the, that's the question. When we enter into yoga environments that seem familiar in a way, mm -hmm. um, in ways that we can't tell, that present us with the same problems that we have encountered all of our lives, but in different form, um, uh, are we going to be able to use it to our advantage or, or, or cover it over? It's, it's, that's the mystery. Okay. That's, that's the that's the mystery of repetition compulsion. Just to go back to Freud a little bit is is you know do you, do you find yourself in this situation this power dynamic with 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 a teacher because it's familiar to you and and is that familiarity a kind of consolation 
and will you repeat the the um, the situation in in a to, to as as in an attempt to master it, um, in a, in an attempt to transform it. Um, some people can, and, and I think some people can't. So, okay, so then on that note, then I have a question. Do you think that there is ever a, a kind of power neutrality, or is the, is the point just to, to continuously be conscious of the possibility of, you know, hierarchies of power that are, you know, repressive? Is it yeah. that, that, is it that, that mode of inquiry is, is the neutrality or is there actually a neutral, you know, vision of power relations in which, you know, one can go into a yoga room and, and they've kind of, you know, anesthetized their, their, um, socialization in such a way that they are no longer prone to these kinds of abuses? I don't, I don't, I don't think so. Whether the, whether people are prone to to abuses or not is, is kind of a separate question. But okay. but whether or not there's power neutrality, I, I don't I don't see how that I don't see how that emerges. I mean I mean um, like my entire every fabric of of my of my you know conscious identity is 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 formed by. Um, you know, privilege and circumstance, and 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 power relations. Not that that's not that that's all I am, but it's very difficult to 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 describe that part of myself that's beyond it. Right. I, you know, some people would say that's why we go to yoga is to try to find that try to find that 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 part that part beyond. But but I think if you walk into a if you walk into a, a business in a capitalist space, uh, there's 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 a there's a power dynamic involved mm-hmm. with regard to. You know, not only how much you're paying, but how much it costs to be in in the place that's more or less gentrified. Um, if there's somebody who's instructing, um, and and it's presumed that they have more technical knowledge about biomechanics than you do, that's a form of power. If they have an overbearing, you know, sense of of um, sanctimony, then that's a, that can be a form of that can be a form of power. I, it's it's very. I don't know about power neutrality. I, right, I, right. I think I think I think I typically think in terms of power dialogue and, and power power conversation. Mm-hmm. And and your point to 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 being aware of that I think is is crucial. Right. You know, in in as far as I understand it, I'm not a psychotherapist, but in psychotherapy, for example, it's not the point isn't to to um, you know, over overcome the the tendency to transfer and to counter transfer because that's pretty much impossible. It's very, I it, w- it would be very difficult to relate to a human being in ways that didn't carry the history of your relations with other human beings. Yeah. Like I don't know how that would that would work. Um, but so the point is to to be aware of that as be part aware, yeah. of to be a, to be aware of that as part of the dynamic. Mm-hmm. To be aware that that you know when when I, I I took this other class, this this is a subtler example, but I took this other class recently actually in 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 um, uh, actually it's in in Lower Manhattan with a very fam- another famous teacher who teaches in this gorgeous you know rent controlled loft that she's probably been in for I don't know forty years or something like that and 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 you know she has this. She has enough room in this loft for 60 people to do this amazing, uh, you know, props heavy class and, 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 and people love her and they've obviously been coming, been coming for 15 years and, and, 
Um, I know, I know who you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. So, 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 yeah. Well, I, yeah, and and I, I really appreciated Jenny Capular's class. It was beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and there was, and yet there was this moment. I haven't talked to her about this, but, but, um, and I haven't asked her to interview. But, but um, I don't, I don't. It's not like some big, big reveal. But there was this moment where um, I, you know, I'm obviously new there. Mm-hmm. You know, she wants to make contact. Um, and uh, she she wants to, as most teachers do, want to wants to form some kind of connection. But she but she did that by giving me a number of adjustments that were kind of like check in adjustments. They weren't even. <laughs> there was one point where I was sitting, I was sitting doing you know there was I guess we were doing alternate nostril breathing at the end and and uh, you know I I had my I had my elbow propped on a couple of blocks as I typically do and I'm doing it with my sloppy ass thumb and ring finger way of course it's not the right you know you know with Iyengar wants you to put your hand into this like weird claw and you know do it absolutely precisely and probably have a big frown I don't know it's like it's there's the, the instructions out the wazoo so yeah. she she comes she she corrects my hand and that's kind of funny and it's you know but then but then she comes and but then she comes and and she uh uh she touches my head uh, to to reorient the the my head tilt by like probably a fraction of a degree, mm. and I'm like, I have been sitting and meditating for twenty years, and I know how I'd like to put my fucking head. Thank you very much. Like like there's there like there's a possibility that maybe she's seeing something that if the, the, that extra degree was 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 you know added or taken away that that suddenly light bulbs would go off and I'd go into satori but i i've been doing this for long enough that 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 just i that's very unlikely and i think it's unlikely for most people i know that small anyway the, the my point is that the that the that the adjustment was maternal mm-hmm. it wasn't it wasn't it was it was parental mm-hmm. it wasn't it wasn't uh, content based. It wasn't alignment based. It was I'm checking in with you, and I've got you. I'm holding you. I'm holding, and and I look around, and there's like, and there's 50 other people lying, cuddled up in blankets and on bolsters, and I'm like, oh, p- people are coming to nap time uh, in Lower Manhattan. And it feels really good. And this is a person who knows how to hold maternal space. And if we don't cop to what that, to that aspect of it, if we think, oh, we're we're there to you know work on alignment and you know the bandhas and you know the three layers of the perineum and 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 how exactly to hold our hands in in pranayama, if if we don't realize, I think, I argue, I would argue that if we don't realize that. We are equally there to explore, like, the nursery space of, of early childhood and learning how to breathe and nap and sleep and, 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 and move again in these very tender, intimate ways. I think we're missing it. And, that's, and, and missing it, I think, is the blind spot with regard to abusive relationships. So, so okay, so the, this is interesting. So what, so what you're suggesting is, is not so much that, that um, the, the nurturing or maternal nature, as you put it, of the environment is what's problematic, it's, but it's that we're not conscious of that dynamic we're not conscious yeah yeah by and large by and large we're not conscious i think i think 
think occasionally people people colloquially refer to the coziness or the sweetness or the the you know, I was in the energy of the Divine Mother, but I don't think we make it literal for ourselves. I don't think we make it, you know, um, this is how I was or wasn't regarded with a particular kind of gaze in my in my in my earliest memories. Um, I don't think we I don't think we go back there. Um, now, it, this is not the only model for understanding it, and I'm not saying that I'm not saying that this this psychoanalytic approach is is like the 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 end of the ball game. I think it's it has a lot to offer, though. It's a lens that is important for us to put into the mix. Yeah, I I think so. I think so. And and it's pretty uncomfortable because because I think what it suggests is the content that so many uh, yoga professionals spend their lives stressing about, trying to master, memorizing, you know, researching, going to this workshop and that workshop, can actually be a, a, a cover, a kind of a kind of distraction uh, for these deeper relational um, uh, moments and, and energies that are being worked on. So yeah, I, I I think that I think that um, uh, yeah, especially especially with the intimacy of 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 asana class, it's mm-hmm. you're 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 literally learning how to move again. Yeah. Um, and and what could be more developmentally um, you know triggering, but also enriching than that? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's really interesting. I, I, I like what you say about, um, or I like what you're mentioning about just being conscious and aware of that, uh, that kind of dynamic, because I mean, I def, I go to, uh, Jenny Kapiller's class pretty frequently and, 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 and maybe I haven't thought about it in this way that you're, um, suggesting necessarily, but, but when I think about it and when you, when you're speaking about it, I, I sort of recognize that there is definitely a kind of, um, a nurturing quality to the environment that I'm drawn to. And, mm. and, um, and uh, while I while I can't necessarily you know say how that connects necessarily to what my, what my experiences were like with my mother, it's an interesting kind of conversation. But as long as I'm you know willfully going into that context, and I understand that, um, like you're pointing out, that the the gestures and the assists can be both can be either content based or sort of based in this kind of more. Um, parental kind of mode that that's really the point is to have um, is to have that kind of awareness a deeper kind of layer of awareness yeah so, I, I maybe 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 I'd add that that the that the that the content transmission of the adjustment and the relational transmission of adjustment of the adjustment really can't be separated right. you know mm-hmm. it's it's that it's that you know she she might yes she might think uh, from her loads of experience that that degree tilt in my head is is actually a, a, a port an important technical thing to show me but her choice in doing it her the way in which she approaches me her 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 you know the 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 implied consent to do it all of that is relational and and i don't think those two things can be separated mm-hmm. and and we and 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 one of the biggest obstacles to talking clearly about relational dynamics in yoga culture is this is this drive to say well you know we have to in extreme cases especially you know we really have to separate the teacher from the teaching and and i'm and i'm like no way there's there is no you don't those things aren't aren't separable that that we have a hundred years or more of developmental psychology that says the way in which something is taught 
is the message, is the actual content. Of course, yeah. You know, so, so you know, when, when people are arguing about whether or not they should, you know, what are they going to do with the hot 26 postures of Bikram Yoga, given the fact that the guy's allegedly a serial rapist, you know, it's, 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 that, that's, that's a primary thing that comes up. Well, the, the, the thing can be separated out from the teacher. Mm-hmm. And I, I just doubt that it can be. Now, I'm not talking about everybody else who, who teaches Bikram yoga. If they have good relational, uh, uh, you know, boundary stuff and, and good interpersonal dynamics with their students, then that might be fine and well. But, but, uh, but him and the way he teaches and the content of what he teaches are just, they're inseparable. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because hmm. we're bodies, because we're bodies, and bodies do things, and the and the bodies that do things are, are the content, and the content can't be separated from the bodies. Yes. So then, so what you're saying that is it that the that each time the teaching is expressed by a different teacher, the content of the teaching is different. I, I would say it has to be. It has to be. I mean, I mean, look at look at the look at the wild transformations that have happened in just the the a, a few generations of Iyengar pedagogy. We have we have um, you know we have Judith Lassiter um, studying for years and years and years with the guru himself, uh, and then in '96, I believe, or '98, leaving the board of directors for. Uh, the, the Iyengar Institute of San Francisco because uh, Iyengar uh, uh, defended uh, Manuso Manos, who admitted to sexually harassing uh, his women students over, over a period of many years. Uh, Iyengar himself had him reinstated on the board. He was, he, was, he was banned from the institute or dropped from the board and from the roster for a year. Iyengar had him put back down. Judith Lasseter resigns because of that. And, but she goes on, but she goes on to teach Iyengar yoga, uh, but gradually changes things. Gradually changes things and and uh, and and moves to the point at which she's writing books on nonviolent communication, yeah. which couldn't be farther from the zeitgeist that that Iyengar either grew up with or promulgated in in, in his illustrious career. Yeah. And and so, but but if 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 we ask ourselves, you know, what's the connection between between what Iyengar taught and what Judith Lasseter taught? Uh, I'd have to I'd have to say that that there's 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 got to be some some overlapping elements some blendings of things but but really if 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 she can be said to be teaching Iyengar yoga it's really going to be her thing it's going to be her version her her production of it and that's going to come through her values her her embodiment her um, uh, uh, feelings about consent. I mean, here's somebody who asks everybody every single time for consent before she touches or adjusts them. Mm. Every single time, like multiple times the same person during a class. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so this is, I mean, to me, historically, this is fascinating, is, is, that, is that we have people who have developed yoga pedagogy uh, while retaining some kind of connection to the the 
you know, the, 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 the teaching that they received as, as younger people. And then we have people, and then we have teachers who have completely abandoned what they received as younger learners and teachers and have struck out on their own. Uh, and I really enjoy researching the dialogue between those two groups. Mm. And what do you think the stakes are in that? I mean, do you, uh, like for yourself personally, do you, um, and maybe I know the answer to this, but I'd love to hear hear from you. Like, do you feel um, inclined to 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 acknowledge your connection to the lineages you've been a part of, or do you are you more of the second group where you feel like um, you'd rather sort of overturn it and move on? I, I I have I have no problem talking about who I studied with and and yeah. and, and uh, you know what I what I gained and what was awful about it. That's that's cool. Um, <laughs> you know, as for as for what I've as for what I've gone on to do in in Asana, I'm really not that sure about it anymore. Yeah. Um, you know, like I I'm I I haven't taught a weekly class in a couple of years now, and uh, you know while I practice at home and. You know, when I'm when I'm when I'm teaching on the road, I'll I'll facilitate restorative yoga classes. It's different from teaching an active class for sure. And and I think I'd have to go back into training before I wanted to do it again, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. because I I just don't I have no idea what it it. What it I is. really don't. Yeah, <laughs> I mean that's what that that's that's part of the joke of of my my book project is yeah. what I'm actually doing is is I. I uh, you know, I can say I can say that I've I've been to several classes in the past couple of years with some masterful people who who you know if I could if I lived beside them I would I would I would uh, probably get back into learning how to 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 practice and teach asana in a different way. Uh, Peter Blackaby is one of them who comes to Toronto from Brighton uh, once a year. Um, uh, I took a class with Maria Cristina Jimenez in, um, in, in Los Angeles that was fantastic. She's an osteo- osteopath now, I think. Um, yeah, uh, and, then, and then other movement modalities, too, though, have kind of shocked me uh, with regard to their, their, um, their, their complexity and beauty. Like, Axis syllabus is just mm. unbelievably beautiful. Um, Axis syllabus? Yeah, yeah. It's, um, it's a... It's a, it's a I think the originator Frey Faust describes it as a movement research platform where people where where uh, it's mainly ex dancers who have recovered who have who have realized they have to recover from chronic injury, um, figuring getting together at various conferences around the world and um, uh, figuring out you know what's the most what's the most you know efficient way of crawling or rolling or 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 you know spiral threading along the floor or uh you know what's what's the what are the mechanics of leaping and falling mm-hmm. um and so there's a lot of overlap between access syllabus and contact improv world and i've explored that a little bit and um so so my 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 asana basket is kind of exploded right now and and uh, I don't know if it's going to come back together, uh, or, or, or how, um, but your question was, you know, like, do you, you know, do you, do you, what's at stake in, in being a part of a, of a, of a teaching lineage or brand or not? And, and I think that, uh, you know, it really depends on the, it really depends on how, uh, the, the, 
the lineage conceives of itself. I mean, for for Ashtanga people, there's this construction, or I would say reconstruction, of the notion of parampara, where you know you can't actually you can't actually teach or or be authorized in in the um, in the method, except through contact with a certain person's body, <laughs> and that's and that's uh, that would be Sharath Joyce. I mean, the the, the fact that there are no training programs um, for Ashtanga Yoga outside of Mysore itself, uh, it says something very um, beautiful and very ancient, but also very strange about this lineage. It says that um, the 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 only person uh, who is able to confer authority is is Sharath Joyce, and it's only because he is a lineage character or carrier rather. Um, I suppose he's a lineage character too, but um, and 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 he's a lineage character in a way that that carries this very old meaning. I think uh, which which overlaps with maybe tantric ideas of, of, uh, diksha or trans or, or energetic transmission, mm-hmm. you know, and, and in many of the senior Ashtanga, uh, teachers that I've interviewed for my project, uh, a lot of them say, oh yeah, Patavi Joyce was a tantric yoga master. And, and, you know, when he laid across my back and his breath was in my ear, there was something very powerful that was being transmitted or communicated. Uh, and, and, yeah, and 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 nobody has been able to do that for me, and it woke me up in a way, okay, right? <laughs> yeah, I don't, so, you don't seem like you'd be the kind of person to um, to respond positively to breath in your ear in that way. <laughs> well, I, I, um, I, yeah, I, I at, see. I think the thing is, I think what makes me weird is that at certain points in my life I would have, mm, yeah. and so I know what that is, right. I actually, I, I do know what that is. I, I, I've, I was in two cults and, yeah. and I had, I had not close, but, but powerful relationships with, with, with two cult leaders. And, yeah. and can you talk, I'm, and I'm sorry to interrupt, sorry to interrupt you, but I just, I, I'm really interested in, because, you know, we're having this conversation, you're so intelligent and so, um, <laughs> it, you know, you're so analytical and you're so, um, thoughtful about your experience and, and the dynamics that are at play. So I don't understand who this Matthew Remsky could have been that would have, that would have been in a cult and not have analyzed his way out of that box. You know, like how, how did you, how, like, what was that person or who was that person at that time? Well, I think it's a great question and it, and it plays on, on, um, I think, a, a, a fairly common fallacy around who joins cults, which is that there's some predictability right, around right. Who, who's, who's, who's going to get involved and who's not going to be, get involved. I think, um, you know, the, the person, the person who, um, you know, I haven't, I haven't spoken to her a lot, but I, I really, I, I, I value her, her expertise. Her name is Kathleen Mann and she's one of the, um, she's one of the few kind of, you know, court certified witnesses on, on, uh, uh, on, on, on cult dynamics and, and behaviors from a clinical psychology perspective. And, you know, so she, she goes to trials where people feel they've been abused and she, she'll give testimony, but, but she, you know, she's pretty firm, uh, and, and I believe her cause she's in the research field that there are no 
statistical predictors for who joins cults. My, my own sense for a long time was that was that in both of the environments that that I, that I was in, um, most most of my colleagues were um, uh, at a wandering time of their lives. Uh, most of them were um, either. Uh, completely detached from their families, or, or at least, you know, dissociated from their, from their like lived circumstance. And a number, there's a lot of people who, who, who were there, and then you found out after a couple of years that that oh, they actually had a wife and child back at home <laughs> somewhere, and they hadn't really been in touch, and uh-huh. and uh, um, you know, a lot of financial. Uh, um, what do you call it? Dysfunction, um, and so I had I had this general impression of people kind of sharing this aura of dysfunctionality. Um, but looking back on it, I, I also realized that 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 was a I think that was a way of maybe um, rationalizing my own my own susceptibility like if i could say if i could say oh you know these particular experiences in in childhood or these particular traumas or you know this kind of disaffection from my family was responsible for for me winding up in this cult then that kind of made me feel better but i know that that story isn't consistent for a bunch of people so so it's it's a it might be a consoling narrative but it doesn't really i don't think it really plays out um but you know you said how how do how was i not self-aware i think that's the stickiest question um you know i i in geshe michael roach i saw somebody initially who was very much like me Mm. um he was he was my height he was my color um he uh he would cry when listening to neil young uh he um he, but he had exchanged his identity for the identity of a Tibetophile, and um, mm. and and at a very sort of clear developmental stage, I think in his case at 22, he changed his life entirely, and and I had done that as well. I I um, you know left university when I was 22 to finish my novel, but also to. Um, uh, to engage with my my partner at that time, I became a stepfather of a four year old. I, I moved to Europe. Um, I left everything behind. I had zero money and a and a you know all of my possessions in a duffel bag and and uh, and when I heard, I think there was something about his story um, mm. divesting of everything at the age of twenty two and having some intense you know, psycho-spiritual experience with, with a teacher, uh, that gave me the sense of, oh, this is the, this is the other path that I could have taken. Uh, and the kind of love affair can, can arise, um, in the, in the heart of somebody who, you know, really idealizes, uh, the, 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 the path a mentor has taken. And I think that was, that was really clear for me. Um, and I also just didn't know what to do do with my life. I was, um, probably, I was probably clinically depressed. Um, I was 
suffering from undiagnosed seizures at the time, so there was some kind of you know neurological illness going on, and and uh, um, you know I didn't really I didn't I didn't have the I didn't have the the culture or the self awareness to really check it out or to monitor it. Um, so I think there was just a lot of things going on in my early twenties that that uh, that that were profoundly destabilizing. Mm. And I think that that ultimately I've wound up being grateful for because I didn't funnel myself into a um, you know a, um, a workaday probably academic career was where I was going to be headed and I and I don't think I'd be I don't think I'd be happy there. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, uh, <clears throat> there's a lot of things that you said that kind of resonated with my own experience because uh, we talked about this in our first interview, but I also, my first teacher training was um, affiliated with Geshe Michael Roach. Yeah. And, um, and so I learned from a lot of teachers that were, that were um, in his community. And I remember <clears throat> my, the teacher, the main teacher trainer, um, she had mentioned that Geshe Michael Roach came to town. He came to Pure Yoga um, uh, while I was while we were in the teacher training, and she said that if we missed him, it would be like missing Jesus Christ. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And I remember being very like you know that was def- there were definitely alarm bells when I heard that. That's strange. <laughs> That's a little bit weird. Why would someone say that? And um, feels a little culty to me. But I went and and you know it was it was a constant. Um, I was really surrendering a lot of my. It's like um, uh, what's that term where you surrender judgment or you um, well uh, suspension of disbelief. Like yeah. when you enter it, you're like going to the, a theater. You know, you're watching totally. the theater or something. Theater, and, well, theater is a great theater is a great metaphor to use here actually yeah and 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 the thing is i was training i was at the new school studying continental philosophy at the time and so i was in you know i was in an environment that should not have been whatsoever or i was you know i was invested in a kind of intellectual practice that should not have been um uh easily duped by something like Gesha michael i mean it just you know it just doesn't they don't seem yeah. to fit necessarily yeah. um and yet uh, but i think it was that very the very um, fact of that kind of Western academic training, which sort of left me feeling spiritless. Yeah. That um, that made it so attractive. And, totally. And um, and but but I do remember when I went to see him, I was v- not impressed at all by his take on the Bhagavad Gita, which was like ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> but then but then you know watching people um, watching people you know, deferentially bow to him when he's walking in the door was like really weird, hard to watch. But also like at the same time, the whole time I'm thinking, okay, there's, there's a symbolic truth to this. There's like a, there's a philosophy behind why people are doing this. And that was another thing that I thought they, they had philosophies behind why they were doing things, Mm. which excused in a certain kind of way, um, you know, the, uh, what would otherwise look like, you know, cult-like behavior. Yeah. Well, it's that's a that's a it's a it's a fascinating scene that you paint, and and I'm and I'm pretty familiar with it, and uh, and you know the, the 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 attraction to something that feels intimate and present and impassioned and um, and 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 yet it also purports to have a philosophical basis is incredibly powerful, and I think and I think it's. Uh, a huge motivator in yoga culture, for sure, in a lot of different areas. It, it reminds me of this this story that I heard from Dr. John Doyle, uh, 
he is the he was the medical uh, faculty member for the yoga master of yoga studies at the Loyola Marymount College, oh, I yeah. think. Yeah. Uh, and he did that for one year. Anyway, he he got out of that. That's a long story, but he. He said that um, his first, his own first yoga class came upon the heels of, um, or came within the, 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 the period of time that he was gearing up to take his uh, licensing exams to become a, a, a GP, a, a medical doctor in, I think this is in LA, I think it's the, the late 70s. Uh, and I think he's also dealing with a number of emotional issues, uh, but I think he has a friend who pulls him along to class, says, you know, this will be great, this will straighten you out. The class is an Iyengar class. The person, the person teaching begins referencing uh, breath to the kidneys and uh, is pointing to the region just, you know, in the center of the back, just below the, 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 the shoulder blades. And, and, and John is like, this guy is totally full of shit. I, I, I was, I was just in a cadaver lab the day before holding a human kidney in my hand. This guy obviously doesn't know what he's talking about. He doesn't know, he doesn't know what kidneys are or where they are or what they actually do. And he said, but at that moment, I realized that I needed something different than, than the, the, medical education that I was getting that, that was feeding one part of me and starving another. Yeah. And I think that th this is, it's such a common story mm -hmm. that we enter into yoga land and encounter uh, a realm of, of poetry that we've either never had access to or it jostles some deep childhood or perhaps cultural memory mm. of a time in which, uh, you know, not everything had to be measured. Things didn't have to be footnoted, and and um, uh, you know, we sang to each other around campfires or something like that. Like that's that's what we did. Um, so there's there's like a there's almost a a, a pre-rational memory that gets evoked and is extraordinarily powerful. And I think going back to our early conversation, it 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 draws upon embodied sensations that are that are primal to us you know what does it feel like to be gazed at in the way that Geshe Michael gazed at people with that with those incredibly bright blue eyes and yeah. that thousand yard stare yeah. like that 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 darshana um which is so crucial to 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 the transmission processes within Indian wisdom traditions, uh, the fact that it is centered upon the gaze, uh, and that and that the gaze is the first and most tenderest thing that happens between parents and children, that's like, of course there are going to be primal sensations that come up, um, and that's what makes it you know liberating and extraordinarily dangerous. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I like what you said about <clears throat> encountering poetry. I think that's a really beautiful way to put it. That, you know, you enter the yoga world and you encounter a poetry that maybe you were starved for. So I guess then, you know, in our <clears throat> in our more, you know, critical conversations and all these kind of critical points about, um, you know, what we need to be sensitive to in, in the yoga community, how do we, re we retain that openness, that kind of 
openness to the poetry while still retaining this um, critical perspective that you advocate? Yeah, I, I, I think it's a, it's a schizoid pursuit really um, (laughs) that, that I, I, you know, I, I'm hoping, I'm hoping, I'm hoping that in the book that I'm writing, I can go back and forth between those two things because, you know, I I was writing to the agent the the other day that, um, that, I'm 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 trying to I'm trying to combine four, uh, you know, types of diction in the in the book, and and one is first person embodied. What does it actually feel like within me as I as I do asana, um, eliding with um, what are other people telling me about their own interoception, eliding mm-hmm. uh, with, um, you know, what are the what are the um, what are the interview subject narratives about about their encounters in in yoga land and their and their uh, their dealing with with pain injury and healing uh, and then finally there's the there's this you know straight up historical research like you know what does what does Iyengar actually say about how much asana he learned from Krishnamacharya um, does everybody know that Patabi Joyce described scenes of of you know, domestic abuse in his childhood home before fleeing to Mysore and encountering more of the same. Like, um, you know, so 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 I, I'm hoping that some sort of polyvocal approach will will help with that. But for the most part, you know, and this is this is really my bad. Um, I, I've I've limited over the past, let's say, couple of years, my my online. Uh, voice to 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 cultural critique and mm-hmm. yeah, I mean that's that's not that's 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 not my that's not my whole thing, right? And, sure. and that's actually a question I wanted to ask you because you know behind every cultural critic, there's someone who has a a deep um, deep hope and idealistic temperament. You know, you wouldn't be criticizing unless unless there was a, a vision that you had. So so that I actually wanted to ask you before, and I think I kind of know. I think you know. The very this very conversation is sort of is an answer in and of itself. But what is that vision for you? Like, what does the future of yoga look like when we've sort of um, grown up a bit? Yeah. Um, well, the, the, I mean, there's so many things that 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 come to mind. But but I think that I think that. The, the thing that my brain is going to first and foremost is that is that relationally uh, people who teach and people who learn continue continue to evolve uh, into deeper and deeper forms of interpersonal uh, transparency and comfort what, what I what I notice about, and, and this is really, first of all, on teachers. What I noticed, what I notice about teachers, is uh, a kind of um, chronic personality splitting and performativity mm-hmm. that um, I think is amplified by the social media world. It's certainly amplified by photography, in which there's there's an overwhelming concern, or at least a chronic concern, uh, around um, the the self-presentation of hopefulness and inspiration that that has its uses, but it's also not, you know, the way we always feel. Um, 
And you mean and are think, you are you talking about kind of the like new agey sort of like self helpy stuff that we hear a lot? Is that what you're referring to? Yeah, but 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 I, I think it's easy to pick that stuff out. But but I would say um, I would say what's harder is um, is picking out the somatics of. Mm of authority and the performance of accomplishment. Right. right. I, I, you, you referenced in an email, you said, you know, you, you, you enjoyed this dialogue that, that I was having with Christopher Wallace about yes. who the new guru was. Well, he references, um, and, and I, and I really appreciated talking with, with, it was a great uh, conversation. Yeah. Christopher. And, and we had a couple of phone conversations that were even, that were even more detailed that, that maybe we'll, will start to unfold in the future. But yeah. anyway, I, 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 I respect and admire him in a number of different ways because I think he's just in such a weird position and, mm-hmm. and being a scholar practitioner and, and having a kind of congregation, being a spiritual teacher at the same time. And, and uh, I think he's figuring out how to do that in a way that nobody else has had to do it with a kind of transparency that, yeah. that you others bring to it. So anyway, at least in yoga land, in the Buddhist world, it's a little bit different. They're, I think they're 20 years ahead of us. But 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 he 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 references um, you know uh, in this question of you know is there any value he he has this he kind of accuses me of saying that or suggesting that there is no value to spiritual teaching or or there shouldn't be spiritual teachers and he says you know but of course you know people like Byron Katie and Adyashanti work they they, they work and and regardless of what anybody thinks of the content of Byron Katie's work or the content of what Adyashanti says, um, the thing that occurs to me about that is that that, um, I think we have to get clear on how we feel in our bodies when we sit in a room of 300 people and Adyashanti is on a a dais. Mm -hmm. Um, What is that basic position of deference or of it might not feel like deference it might feel like rectitude it might feel like piety it might feel like receptiveness but there's a way in which there's a way in which um uh he is the figure is phallic he is he is erect um and 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 i mean this in all sense of the term because because there's a because there's a patriarchy inherent in the 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 power dynamic of a single teacher and many you know potential you know recipients uh, who are who are below. Now he might position himself as not being anything special or I haven't discovered anything. It doesn't matter what he says. If you turn on the video and turn off the sound, look, try to assess the somatics of what's happening and how it is that this person looks to carry or looks to be projecting something that other people don't have. Mm. Uh, and as if we start having that conversation, now I don't know Adyashanti personally. I'm not saying anything good or bad about him. I'm saying that I'm saying that there is a there is a there is an accepted somatics of spiritual transmission and teaching that is rigid, that is uncomfortable, that is vertical in orientation. Even when it says it's not, even when it's, it, it says content-wise, oh, you know, this is liberal, this is democratic, you know, when you wake up, you just realize you're a regular person, all of that stuff. Look at how still the person sits. Look at how they look at other people. 
look at the spatial dynamics of the room and see whether or not all of the focus is upon one body and why that is. Mm-hmm. And and when we, I think when we start having that somatic conversation about authority, spiritual authority, I think we'll start to understand how it is that we as teachers and students feel when we are trying to be good, which I would say is the primary obstacle in actually in, in, in good self-inquiry. Um, okay, so I want to ask a question about this because I think this is interesting. So uh, then um, just, you know, to compare it to, to maybe something else that we have less issues thinking about or, you know, it, it provokes less kind of resistance. Uh, in, in, you know, in the, when I go to, if I was to be studying medicine, for example, I would go into, you know, a classroom with, with someone who did have knowledge that I, that I don't have. And, and you know, there's, a de- there, there's an inherent, you know, hierarchy there because I'm, I'm, I'm yeah. in a room seeking to learn a certain kind of technique. Technology. And so do you think that there's a way in which, um, or I guess what's the difference then between That's a great somebody, question. somebody yeah. who has like, you know, knowledge of a certain spiritual technology, like what's different about those two contexts? Well, it's not that the person has knowledge of spiritual technology, because if that were true, then we'd all be taking darshan with Alexis Sanderson at Oxford, right. you know, the, the, the best read tantric scholar in the world. Uh, it's not about that. The presumption with Adyashanti or anybody else in that or Byron Katie or anybody else that, that, that we turn to is that they carry an experiential reality that other people don't and that that's what they grant access to. That's what they that, – and, and uh, you know, I'm just agnostic about that. I don't know whether they do or they don't, but I'm pointing out that the presumption that they do creates a particular dynamic that I think we have to be aware of. Um, you know, Which it's is like, funny. It's funny because uh, I have read out Yashanti's book, and it's funny because it's like what you're pointing to is that there is there's an there's an assumption that they have something, but then what they're teaching is that when you when you realize you actually realize that you never had anything, <laughs> that there yeah, was actually it, never anything to get. You know? I, I think I think you can read. I think you can read his his books. I haven't. I think you can read. I think you can read Eckhart Tolle until you're blue in the face, and you can learn the lingo. You can learn the the turns of phrase. You can learn the specialized you know, non-dualistic poetry. Uh, But I think you'll learn more about what's actually going on uh, by by feeling all the feels of sitting in the room with the person on the dais staring the thousand-yard stare. Like, that, that, it's, and, it, and I think it's, a, it's at once more immediate and more obvious what's going on, that this person has been endowed with with a kind of presence that cannot be created by anything other than transference. Because nobody can verify that Adyashanti is awake or even define what awake means. I mean, Chris, Christopher has, you know, a list of, you know, qualifications for, for awakeness, but it still doesn't get to the internality um, question of, well, did you do it? You know, and, and the thing with, with Michael Roach and Adyashanti and Byron Katie is that they are telling you they did it. Yeah. Uh, but not only that they did it, but whatever it is they did has a particular meaning that is then universalizable, right? Mm-hmm. And and I think I think if you're not clued into that, you're not gonna you 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 may get swept away by by the raw charisma of it. Now that might be helpful mm-hmm. in in the way that we just talked about, you know, in terms of it'll 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 moisten your your academic bones maybe, but. 
But, uh, you know, there are other <laughs> some some people will get carried away by another person's charisma for a very long time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, and 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 it's uh, there, there's a dynamic there. The one character in in that beautiful Holy Hell documentary that just came out said, uh, um, you know, there's a there's an economy between the traumatized narcissist and the the codependent person who doesn't feel like they have a self. Uh, and I think really feeling what that feels like, um, you know, means, means putting down the books and, and sitting in the, sitting in the room and going, oh, okay, why am I behaving? So why am I so quiet? (laughs) What gems of wisdom am I waiting for from this person? Uh, why do I feel like it would be hugely embarrassing to belch really loudly right now. Like why, you you know what I mean? Like what am I doing to repress my own body uh, in order to be receptive to the image of my transference? So, yeah, I mean, I, I, I think that when you say, when you talk about the future of yoga, that's the conversation that I would love to see happen because, because, um, I think it would get beyond but not only because, you know, yoga is primarily an embodiment practice globally. Uh, and so what we're doing with our bodies together and in relation to each other is really important. Um, but also because, uh, I think it would get beneath the, the, the philosophical semantics, uh, a little bit and, and maybe, maybe make our motivations for practice and relating to each other a little bit more clear. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Yeah. Huh. So, um, I'm, I don't know if I'm going to, how I'm going to frame this question, but I'm just sort of thinking, you know, if we decide, you know, we have this conversation, we decide that, um, there's something sort of problematic about the pedagogical structure of, of, um, of a, you know, a, a, a master, um, teaching in this kind of hierarchical way. What, I mean, what is, what is the alternative? I mean, you know, assuming that we, we still believe that there are people who have wisdom worth sharing, like what is, what is the, the vision of a kind of context, a pedagogical, pedagogical (laughs) context in which the wisdom is shared without, you know, falling into the, uh, to the problems that I think you're drawing attention to. Well, I, I, I said I said earlier that the Buddhists are twenty years ahead of this, and I think this is evidenced by the fact that that you know at, at most of the major meditation centers, um, uh, some Zen centers, some Vipassana centers, IMS places like that uh, across the states, um, you know the the cent- the notion of a central teacher is is downplayed or outright rejected for one thing, uh, and also there's always a board of directors. Uh, and also there is, um, uh, some kind of, some kind of grievance or accountability process for, for, uh, for student grievances. Mm -hmm. Um, those are basic structural changes that a lot of Buddhist organizations have put in place that I think are really, that I think are really useful and that yoga land could learn a lot from. Mm Um, you know, the, the, I think uh, the the best story coming out of Yoga Land, both past and present, is the transformation of of Kripalu from, you know, a charismatic, top down, guru centered organization to something that is run uh, by uh, really by 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 board and acclamation and democracy, um, and 
Yeah. Uh, now, now, in in some ways, in some ways, the 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 programming um, impacts for Kripalu are quite uh, significant. For instance, they can't offer Amrita Sai's meditation and motion anymore because only he really taught it, and or you right. know, associated with him, or you know, it's based on a kind of Shaktipat ideal, which is uh, of transmission, which is non-democratic by nature, right? It's 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 vertical, uh, and so they're not really doing that. And I remember talking to one of their one of their board members who said, "Oh yeah, we can't offer that also because the insurance company doesn't like it either because we can't really define what it is." Uh, so yeah, I mean. You know, we we as 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 these places move as as yoga culture moves towards institutional intelligence, it's it's also probably going to lose some of its some of its uh, um, some of its some of its passion, and it'll have to be reconstituted in other ways, mm-hmm. uh, maybe in other projects, maybe maybe uh, passions for for you know, social justice and, and anti-oppression work will uh, come in and uh, soak up the the passions that used to be direct, directed towards the guru. I don't know. Yeah. Do you think that is one of the other things um, that attracts you to the kind of Buddhist um, structure of things is that, um, and this I actually think is more aligned with Buddhist philosophy or the teachings of Buddhism, but like I'm thinking of Tara Brock who, you know, she often talks about her own failures or her own, um, you know, psychological idiosyncrasies and how she struggles with all these same things. So there's a certain sense in which even though she's, um, you know, she's very well respected and people probably see her as, um, um, you know, holding some kind of banner of wisdom or, or baton of wisdom that they don't quite have yet. But she's all, she's also very real. Like she talks about, you know, she's just kind of a, Mm-hmm. Um, she doesn't sort of uh, present herself as being an awakened master in that way. Is that is that part of the, that 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 Buddhist teachers are more inclined to be real about human I, suffering and human failings? Or I think I think the I think the vulnerability discourse pervades yoga culture as well. I don't I don't think I I think that I think that um, I, I just think that the that the 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 structural. Um, safeguards against abuse just haven't been developed in, in, in yoga. I think that, you know, people are, people are making vulnerability and, and fallibility into, into, you know, branding moves in, in yoga land. So, so, but that doesn't mean that, that doesn't mean that, um, uh, the larger institutions, the larger schools, um, have you know taken taken the same measures that Buddhist organizations have taken to limit the power of individual teachers or make sure that there's there's good feedback mechanisms or mm-hmm. you know not to not to bring out an old saw but we have to ask ourselves um, uh, you know in the Jivamukti organization who's the who's the who's the who's the control who's the you know you said you said. Um, uh, you said, uh, you know, if you were going to a medical school, you would, you would, you would pursue somebody with expertise. Um, that's very true. The person, the person's expertise is going to be assessed by peer review. Right, right. And that's, you know, there's like a whole process for that that is intersubjective. It's interrelational. It's institutional with all of its baggage. It's, it's, it forms its own set of power dynamics. All of that stuff. But it's way different from 
Eckhart Tolle saying, I woke up on a park bench in Vancouver and I saw the light of God and I want you to believe me and now I'm on Oprah. Like, it's totally different. It's not self-reported. You can't self-report your surgical knowledge. Mm -hmm. You have to show it and not kill people. And and so... So I think I think the challenge for yoga schools is to figure out how to sh- how to how to demonstrate how to demonstrate skill um, uh, in in some kind of some kind of interpersonal maybe not peer reviewed way because nobody's going to agree to that but um, you know that's what the regulation discussion is about is is how are we actually going to understand and 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 hold each other accountable for what we're actually doing right so the best the best case scenario in in responding to the jiva mukti um situation scandal whatever you want to call it would would, in your view uh partly have been for sharon and david to um to step down as sort of the the um I don't know, the leaders of the organization and, and put in place something like a board of directors that would then, that they I would think that then would be, be... That would have been a splendid move. Yeah. And why not? Yeah. And that would have been a splendid move. They, they're, they're, they're founders. They've created this, this, this vibrant technique, beloved around the world. They've, they've, they've done all kinds of good activism work and, 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 you know, they, they'll have a beloved following and, and here, and here might be an instance in which, oh, we have, you know, um, uh, we have a personnel problem that uh, brings up a couple of conflicts of interests for us, and we don't. Maybe we don't know exactly how to handle it. I mean, <laughs> because the alternative was to simply call the accuser a liar, which is what they did. And and instead of instead of um, uh, instead of delegating, um, asking for asking for a kind of institutional help, they kind of just. It seems like anyway, they made some top-down decisions, and uh, and yeah, who's gonna who's who's going to? And unfortunately, unfortunately, the only accountability for that is going to be public and market-driven. You know, so public is where you know. Uh, if, if I play a journalistic role in, in telling that story, that's a form of public accountability because there's no, because there's no internal account- accountability, right? There's nobody, we're talking about, we're talking about a, 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 a you know, a failed or, or aborted mediation process that Faro describes. Uh, it didn't work. Um, the, 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 there, there wasn't a way to, there wasn't a way to redress what had happened. Mm-hmm. Um, so she sought public remedy, um, and 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 what's so so the other thing that would be really cool about you know the board model or an accountability panel or or you know my friend Michael Stone has set up a uh, a council I think he calls it a, an accountability council for you know he has he has people who who study with him all over the world and if they have complaints he says I'm not going to. Uh, I'm going to delegate this to you know people who can uh, give me feedback and and offer offer remediation and and you know decide on appropriate you know measures for healing broken relationships if it should come to that wow. or for trying to. That's amazing. Uh, yeah, yeah. So he's 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 got he's got three people who who form a council, and if you've got a problem with how with something that Michael said in class or how he spoke to you personally or or something that happened in an email or 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 you know whatever um, that's 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 where you go to and and they make some sort of assessment and 
you know, there's some kind of process, but, and, and who knows how it's, I don't know how it's working. I haven't talked to him about it. Um, it might be confidential. Um, but at least there's like an effort to do something. Right. Right. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And and I should say just to be totally transparent that that people have asked me where my own my own accountability structure is and and you know who 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 if I'm doing interviews for this book how who do people complain to if they feel like they didn't like the interview process and I think it's a great challenge it's something that I've thought about a lot but but I I I haven't um yeah, you know I haven't been able to figure out how to frame an accountability process for writing a book um, uh, and for undertaking the kind of journalism that I'm doing. I mean, you know, if I'm publishing, then the person who's publishing, which would be decolonizing yoga and the Jivamukti articles, is is providing is providing accountability and editorial. Um, you know, and if I go on to write for other publications, Yoga International or whatever, the same process applies there. But but uh, yeah, I think I think we've all got to think about um, you know if somebody has a problem with what you're doing, with the ideas you're presenting, uh, with how you're treating other people, who are they going to complain to? Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's an, it's a really important question, and and you know at least at least that's something that you're sensitive to. You know, it's and and I think you're right, and 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 I've really come. You know, I wanted to get into this, and and I and and so I want to sort of move into. Just kind of some maybe observations from you in the kind of after not aftermath, but the um, now that we're the the Jivamukti thing is a little bit behind us, and and I think you know when when we had our second interview, I was very defensive and and um, and I was challenging you on a lot of things, and 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 that weren't really very well founded. <laughs> we did a very very terrible job at being a. A critical interlocutor, but um, um, and I ha- and I had to sort of question, you know, afterwards why I was so why I felt so emotional about it, and and even though I, you know, Jiva Mukti is it, it's a place that I started teach or not teaching, excuse me, it's a place that I started practicing when I where I first fell in love with yoga. I, I, I actually was at the Jiva Mukti Yoga School in London when I was living there, going wow. to school over yeah. there, um, which has a very different vibe. You know, it doesn't have the same because Sharon and David aren't really um, it's not their home base, um, so to speak. But I never had a relationship with Sharon and David. Um, and I've only taken David's class once and I, you know, and they always felt a little bit, you know, uh, you know, like they weren't available or weren't there. I never really felt that um, connected to them. But I had a lot of, you know, teachers that really, really very transformative for me. And I have a lot of friends that teach there, um, something that we discussed. So, so, and, and, you know, living in New York, I mean, you don't really, you can't really go anywhere without, you know, as a yoga teacher without being around Jiva Mukti teachers. So, so the whole kind of, um, culture in the city was one of, um, you know, a lot of conflict because there's a lot of, um, and so I guess afterwards, you know, I really had to kind of think about why that, um, why I was so, um, resistant to, to whatever it was that I saw you as doing. But, and I think it was just that I, (laughs) that I was just dealing with my own kind of mourning process because, um, even though it wasn't a, even though, again, I, I I don't consider Jiva Mukti my home studio. I actually don't, I wouldn't, I don't, don't even really like the style so much anymore. And I don't really like the way the Dharma talks are done. Although I have a few people that I think are great Mm-hmm. teachers but Ruth was definitely somebody that I really loved and and mm-hmm. I took her class a lot and so there was like a, a real it was really hard for me to, yeah. to kind of to acknowledge to even acknowledge that I was emotionally invested in that whole thing mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and that I had a kind of um, desire to see Ruth in a, in a kind of way that was 
um, destroyed by the whole experience. And so, so that's a, that's a, that's a, it's a little bit of a trauma. It's a little bit of a, of a mourning process that has to be gone through. And I think I was sort of not even consciously in the middle of it when we spoke last. So I just wanted to kind of be upfront about that. Well, well, thanks. Thanks for sharing that. I think, I think, um, I think it's a. I think I think it's a very. I think it's a very powerful reflection. And and if it and if and if it was the first and if it was your first encounter with Asana, that's like you know, that's a profound thing. Um, and and as as careful, you know, as as dif- as difficult as it is to negotiate the language ar- ar- around you know defining cult dynamics uh, is and as and as you know sensitive as as one can be in in doing it is you know if if a person has had a powerful experience uh and and that they begin to wonder whether whether or not either that experience was the same for everybody or whether whether what was or they become confused about um you know oh well this was very powerful for me uh, how, how can I cognitively, you know, integrate the fact that it was terrible for somebody else, um, you know, to the, to the point of being abusive. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of, there's a lot of cognitive dissonance that can, that can come up for sure. Uh, because, and I think that speaks to the power of the, you know, the bob, the, the 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 mood in the room. It speaks to the power of the 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 brand and the culture that's created, mm-hmm. because it it overwhelmingly uh, suggests that you are in loving care, mm-hmm. uh, that you are, and and if and if that's resonant with your experience, um, it's it's very strange to hear something else, um, and. Or, or to, or to hear something else and to, and to have it made and to have your own experience be made ambivalent in some way, or, you know, or to, yeah. So anyway, I just really, I, I appreciate, I, I appreciate um, your, your, your description of that because I've been in this position a fair amount. You know, like, like uh, um, uh, the, the number of the number of people who were very, uh, you know kind of mystified by the events surrounding Michael Roach and, um, and, and then, and then I did some writing on, on Usara. Uh, the same thing comes up, um, which is, which is, you know, these lineages, these are these brands, these, these environments are powerful. Yeah. They're powerful and, 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 um, they can be powerfully healing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and it's so difficult to see that, that, what makes them powerfully healing is as much what we bring as what they actually are. <laughs> and, I, and, but, but maybe, but maybe there's also a step towards like, uh, you know, pride in there as well. It's like, Oh, you know, you asked me, you said, you said, how, how, you know, how did such an analytical person get wrapped up in, in, in two cults? And I'm like, well, um, I, I, I needed them in, in many ways, but, but also I wasn't, I count myself very privileged actually to be relatively intact. And I think it's because I didn't, I didn't enter with a completely destroyed sense of self. Right. Um, and, and, and so, and so if that's your entry point, you know, you are not, you know, recovering from heroin addiction, you are not, you know, coming out of, uh, you know, physical abuse with a spouse you are not scraping the bottom of your life 
if you're not doing that, uh, and uh, and yet you entered into uh, you know into a into a practice environment that opened you up, that gave you all kinds of you know wonderful things, and you were able to leave when the time came. Uh, that's very it's a very different experience than the person who felt very dependent upon that thing, uh, and then perhaps you know reenacted the 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 you know, the, the constellation of their dependency through that organization. Hmm. That's really interesting. And, you know, it's, you're saying, you know, if you didn't go into it, into, into this practice from a destroyed sense of self, but really that is so many people's story. I mean, totally. I, you look at a, you look at a who's who of bios for yoga teachers and that's like the, the number one part of the narrative is like, you know, I either, I was in this car accident and I was depressed and drinking every day. And then I found yoga, you know, like every, totally. this, this, it's almost like par for the course that somebody is, is, is finding some kind of solution. And even myself, I mean, I mean, I've been practicing yoga for many years now, and but what I actually, what, right after I took my, right when I took my teacher training was right after I had stopped drinking, and I stopped drinking for about three years because I had had drug problems for many years before that, um, for for all of those years. So, and I was practicing yoga at the time, but you know, I went into kind of this new yoga teaching thing from also from a place of kind of having to reinvent or learn who I was again, you know, after totally. kind of being totally entangled in this, um, you know, in this experience. So it's a very real, it's a, it's a big reality. And probably more often than not, people are going, finding yoga as a solution from this kind of, you know, destroyed existential place like you're talking about. Totally. And, and I think, and I think the, 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 the process of exchanging one type of addiction for another is something that is very, um, uh, it, it's a it's a it's a subtle thing to look at. I think it's a really important thing to look at. But but to to the extent that you know some of our dependency transfers over to the person who's teaching us or to the practice that we're doing uh, is the extent to which um, you know I don't know some some of the promised empowerment might not arrive on time. You know. Um, and uh, yes, you're, you're right. I mean, the, the stories of, um, especially, uh, you know, the, the shifting of addictions is huge. Yeah. Um, where suddenly, uh, the new community is the no, is the not the drinking community, but the but the yoga community, um, and the 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 passion is not, you know. Uh, red wine, but veganism. And uh, do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, love, yeah. like I, I asked Gabor Matei once uh, in an interview, I said, what, you know, is there, is there such thing as a positive addiction? And he looked at me like I was from Mars. Like, what are you talking about? There's no, there are no positive addictions. Um, but then I think it's Bill Glasser, the clinical psychologist who actually has a whole book called positive addictions, which yeah. studies this thing of, of, you know, how we, we can trans transition from, you know, incredibly self-destructive behaviors to less self-destructive behaviors, but not entirely become, you know, fully agented or autonomous or, or, you know, settled in the self. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, and I mean, even, um, you know, a favorable reading, not a reading that would probably be true historically, but a favorable reading of the sutras would be, you know, cultivating, um, or yoga philosophy it would be, you know, cultivating better habits and then ultimately being able to not be attached even to those better habits. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. Mm -hmm. I think so. Yeah. Which brings up the question is, you know, well, you know, in the, in the, in the end, what, what is this practice going to be for? Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> um, 
you know, when 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 the when the asana is not so interesting anymore, when when or we can't do it, when um, we've meditated and explored self-regulation and altered states of consciousness. Um, what will we be able to go out and do then? Like, well, what? How how will this self work um, make us more loving? I think that's what that's what I try to. Yeah. That's what I try to keep my eye on. Yeah, me too. Wow. Well, Matthew, this has been really great. I think it's our best one yet. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I hope you think so too. I, I do. It's a real pleasure. Thanks so, so much for the time and, and uh, the opportunity. Yeah. Thank you so much. And, you know, before we get off the line, do you want to share um, anything that's coming up for you? Any, any projects, any workshops? Are you going to be anywhere specific that people might want to check you out? Yeah. I mean, the schedule tab on my website is, is pretty good. I know that I'm, um, there's a number of meditation immersions that I'm facilitating. Edmonton is tomorrow. Then I'm in Lacombe, Alberta, and then, um, Coeur d'Alene in October and Portland in November, Portland in November. Awesome. But I'm also, you're, you're, you're in New York and I think you have a lot of New York listeners. I'm coming to uh, yoga works midtown, uh, on the, 14th and 15th, I think, of October. Oh, amazing. I teach at Yoga Works. Yeah. So, so and, uh, and Laurel Beaversdorf and Tamar Samir are going to be um, providing me with, with asana backup, uh, which, which I need because I just confess that I don't teach active classes anymore. But, um, but, but, the, but the topic is, is um, uh, from the Wawadia research, and it's um, focused around a natural history of the body in uh, yoga practice. So, um, hopefully that'll be interesting to some of your listeners, but my schedule is pretty good. So what, I'm sorry, what date was that? Uh, I think it's October, October. Uh, let me just see here. Um, uh, it is October 15th and 16th. Okay, great. Yeah. Well, well, it's such, 12 to 6 each day. Excellent. It's such a small yoga world. Tamar Samir is, is, uh, is assisting you. She was just in my apartment a few weeks ago for one of our living room lectures. Uh, very <laughs> yeah, good. Yeah, she's a good friend of mine. Okay, great. All right. Well, thank you so much, Matthew, and, uh, and I'll speak to you soon. All right. Take care, Jacob. Bye-bye. All right. That was our interview with Matthew Remsky. I hope you enjoyed it. Again, if you are interested, if you liked what you heard and you want to take those courses with Matthew from our Masterclass collection, you can check out the one of two courses he's done. One is called Transcendent Urges, Brilliant Anxiety in the Yoga Sutras, and the other is called Arjuna and Climate Change, A Thought Experiment Inspired by the Bhagavad Gita. And then, of course, if you are interested in following Matthew and finding out about his schedule and any of his upcoming programs, do check out MatthewRemsky.com. All right. Thanks so much, friends. Bye-bye.